All righty. Welcome to our infamous holiday special. And actually, this year is okay, also the okay. kickoff of yep. season three of the Farm to Table podcast. Good morning, Danny. How are you? Good morning, Elsie. I'm excited for season three and for this holiday uh, tradition that we have started where we take questions from our listeners and do our best to answer them in a little tight package, which is perfect for the holiday season. Absolutely. Yeah. You got anything fun planned for the holidays? We are going to go back to the homeland of the Midwest, go go to Minnesota, um, and then go to Wisconsin and have, you know, a lot of baked goods, a lot of butter. All of the good things. Beer. All of the good stuff. What about you? Um, yeah, similar for us. We're actually taking a family vacation um, first. Um, so I'm actually going to take the last week of December off before Christmas. And mm. we'll do a little family vacation. And then we're going to go up uh, up to the Great White North, up to Canada, see my family <laughs> okay. and see Christine's family as well. So... Um, always good to, uh, you know, we're, we're extremely fortunate that uh, the company is closed between Christmas and New Year's. So we, you know, have that week um, to basically do whatever we want. So I'm excited about that. It's probably the best time of the year because all the emails stop. Yeah. It's not, it's different from when you take a vacation mid-year because like the work still continues, but it's nice that everyone just gets to take a collective rest and kind of recharge before we take on the next year. Yeah, Absolutely. So we're here to celebrate the kickoff of season three in addition to our holiday special edition. So maybe, Danny, um, we've recorded a few episodes at this point. Why don't you give our listeners um, a little bit of a preview of uh, what's to come? Absolutely. So I would say that we had the opportunity to talk to Charles Yoon, uh, who was part of this really cool collaboration with the Wiccans Lab where they did this, uh, you know, photocatalyzed deoxygenation reaction. And this was also done with a Merck postdoc, Miriam. And it was just a really nice episode to record because it kind of touched upon a lot of different things. Uh, One, how we engage with the uh, academic community. It highlighted our really amazing postdoc program and kind of dug into the details about how this reaction works. And the scope is actually quite enabling and kind of opens the door to alternative deoxygenations uh, that, you know, replace the kind of nasty Barton, McCombie, and all the others that mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. folks don't really want to run. Elsie, uh, we also had a really cool episode with um, a couple Merck scientists. Do you want to kind of yeah. give a sneak peek? So on the other side of the, uh, of the fence, on the process chemistry side, we actually brought um, Nadine Kuhl and uh, Jacob Forstatter. Actually, Jacob was trained as a physicist, the first physicist to join the pod. Um, and then did uh, did further studies in chemical engineering. So first chemical engineer to join the pod. So um, it's sort of a different perspective there. And, and I'm hoping listeners will get a really good sense of what it takes to develop a process. Um, a really cool reaction, a transaminase reaction that we used in, in one of our processes. Um, that was kind of a really surprising finding that really started with a great origin story that you know we'll tell you about um, on that episode. And then I guess we're also planning on talking about one of our own papers. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we were invited to uh, write a perspective. And so we teamed up with Matt at the Synthesis Workshop uh, to write a perspective about what it's like to uh, have a chemistry podcast and also the role that it can play in sort of facilitating, um, you know, the industrial academic collaborations, which was a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I think we kind of nicely walked through how our, 
how our two different podcasts are similar and how they're different, our approaches to how we record is also a little bit different. And I think it lays a nice kind of blueprint for folks who are interested in science communication or starting a podcast to maybe, um, you know, get started with like a first step and then, you know, just try it out. Because uh, we learned a lot through this process and hopefully it comes through the paper. And this is something yeah. that I know we're always excited to talk about, to share our journey of uh, podcasting. So hopefully folks really like it. Yeah, absolutely. And we also have um, a special treat for you guys. We have another graphic uh, from our friend Brendan Burkett uh, at ChemScrapes. Um, which uh, I think was really hilarious, and it was great to work with Brendan again on a on a, on a little chemistry sketch. Yeah, he's all he's like he's like our ace up the sleeve. We're like, oh, we need a really good cartoon, a graphic, and he's like, I got you, I got you exactly. too. <laughs> so I'll, always delivers. <laughs> uh, okay, um. so. Uh, in true holiday uh, episode fashion, we asked the uh, social media community uh, for their questions. And this year, I'd say delivered in a robust, more robust way than in years past. So that was really great to see where we actually had to kind of select questions. To yeah. Maybe just get to answer all of them. So that was kind of nice. Absolutely. Elsie, uh, do you want to maybe kick it off? Uh, the first question that we have is from at Dr. Sauce 96. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Dr. Sauce wants to know um, how is R&D in industry similar to and maybe different from how research is done in academia? So any thoughts on that, Danny? Yeah, I would say that uh, R&D in industry, at least for me, I thought was way more collaborative than what I had experienced when I was in academia as a postdoc or as a grad student. Not only like collaborative within your discipline of chemistry, but also cross-functionally, you're working with a lot of different folks. So as you mentioned um, in the sneak peek, Nadine is a process chemist. Jacob is an engineer. These are very common, um, you know, teams that we're part of. And so it's a chemist, an engineer, an analytical um, support, and so on. And so I would say that that was something that is pretty different is that you're really working with uh, a broader set of people. And I think that brings a lot of, you know, cool opportunities that you probably just aren't exposed to when you're in school as a student. Yeah, yeah. What about you? I agree. I mean, I, I totally agree with what you said. I, I think the only thing that I would add is I think that the, the measures of success are more well-defined in industry. Like we, we typically have a pretty concrete goal. Like in, in our case, we're trying to get a, a medicine to patients, right? So um, that sets pretty, um, pretty well-defined targets for what good looks like. And whether you're a medicinal chemist or a process chemist, that's pretty well-defined. And you usually have a time frame in which you want to accomplish that. And if I compare that to when I was a graduate student and sort of you just go about doing your science and you're sort of working on whatever paper you're working on at that time. And once that one's done, you sort of move on to the next idea and just sort of chug along. And it's it's almost like there's no end in sight until, you know, you reach year four or five and you decide to write up, you know. So that's probably a little bit different. Yeah. Okay. Next question. This is from At Teaching for a Living. What is the most annoying academic misconception about working in the pharmaceutical industry? <laughs> I laughed at this one. Yeah, <laughs> so. there there are there are many, um, and I think this sort of links to um, how maybe we should we can do a better job of of sort of letting folks know what it's like to work in the pharmaceutical industry. And certainly, we hope that this podcast can do that. I mean, for me, and I get this question pretty regularly when we're sitting on career panels or when we discuss 
uh, industrial careers with uh, students and postdocs is this perceived lack of scientific freedom that comes with an industrial career and in, in, in the pharmaceutical industry and this idea that you're not going to get to follow your own ideas. And I always tell people, like, for me, it's kind of great that problems come and find me and I don't have to go find them uh, to a certain extent, but I've never felt like my creativity was stifled and um, I always felt like I had a lot of autonomy on how to prosecute those problems. I mean, I don't know, Danny, is, is there something else that you're that comes to mind for you here? Yeah, I would say one question I get a lot from students that they're curious about is that industry doesn't offer any mentorship opportunities. Uh, and so I think within academia, it's very clear that if you become a professor, you mentor students. And it's just very obvious that um that like that type of role. But I would say that within industry, there's a tremendous amount of mentorship, either direct mentorship or also indirect that happens on a daily basis. And so when you first start, I would say that you have opportunities to mentor an intern. Uh, as I mentioned before, Charles Yoon is part of Discovery Chemistry. He mentored a postdoc um, who was Miriam. And in addition, once you um, have a little bit more experience, you just start to have scientific reports. And there you're basically helping mentor them on a day-to-day basis, not only with their science, but also with their um, you know, personal development at the company. And so I would say that that was one that kind of caught my eye that folks don't really think about. Yeah, and you got to play the long game too, because someone's not going to only be there for a few years. You hope they have a long career here. So um, definitely something we apply ourselves to. All right. Next question is from at Life of Dan. What are the things you wish you knew before starting an industry? Yeah. Uh, so I would say that I thought industry was going to be really, you know, just really your hard skills were what mattered the most. And I would say that soft skills mattered more than maybe what I appreciated. And so some that kind of come to mind are like time management um, adaptability, communication. I think these, like these were things that, um, I wish I would have done a little bit more legwork to kind of find my way of working through these. That was unique to my own style. I would say I eventually got there, but, um, you know, I would say the time management one in particular is what early career folks I think struggle with because within, um, grad school or as a postdoc, they can kind of, as you mentioned, their research kind of never ends. They can take a long lunch. They can go to the gym. They can come back after dinner. And I would say that really making the most out of your time during business hours, I think is something that folks, um, you know, have a hard time with, but eventually figure out. What about you? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think I have a better piece of advice than that. I think that as graduate students, we are extraordinarily poor at time management. At least I was. You basically just show up early hang around mm-hmm. the lab, do stuff. And in terms of demands on your time, like you don't have a ton of meetings to go to. You don't have a lot of collaborators that you're meeting with on a daily basis. So you basically have all the time in the world that you're willing to put into your lab time. And I think when you transition to industry, because it's so collaborative, because it's so multidisciplinary, there are team meetings, there are um, you know, uh, all kinds of different demands on your time. And, you know, most people are no longer working grad school hours and you have to learn to be productive in a regular workday. And and I'm actually really thankful to my PhD advisor, Keith Fangio, who sort of really ingrained that into us. He was like, you need to learn how to be productive in a regular workday because one day that's what you're going to want to do with your life. So I totally agree. Like if I was a graduate student today, I would think about 
how long does it take me to do what I'm doing? And mm-hmm. am I being the most efficient in that? And I'm not saying that you should you should restrict your day in some way, but it's worth thinking about like um, how you're planning all your activities. And especially once you start doing other things, like you're writing your thesis or you're working with a collaborator, like how does that impact your day? And are you able to kind of do all the things that you want to get done? Yeah, where does your time go, right? Exactly. Start to like track it, um, set goals each week and just see if you can make progress towards it and all that good stuff. Um, next question from at ND Chiapini. What is your favorite coupling reaction to run? Doesn't have to be one you use most or the one with broadest scope, just the one you look forward to setting up. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I mean, I, I should start with a disclaimer that I haven't set up a coupling reaction since uh, 2012. Um, so it's been a while. <laughs> um, but what I would say is, um, you know, and maybe is because I have a certain level of comfort with it because I did so much palladium catalysis in my uh, graduate work. But I, I always felt like heck reactions were up there for me. Um, mm. You know, it's extremely powerful bond forming reaction. And when the substrate match is good, there are fantastic tools. Um, and to be honest, um, I'm probably a little bit biased because the last reaction I ever run was a heck reaction. I made sure that it was a reaction that I liked. So damn, yeah, it was a heck reaction. It worked really well too. So that that's my favorite. Nice, nice. You ended on a high note. I would say, for me, the I have two favorites. I'll pick one that was probably the most recent. So for me, my last coupling reaction was probably in 2020, and it was a pyridinium cross electrophile mm. coupling. Uh, which was really exciting because we were starting to use that chemistry to convert lysine into the corresponding lysine pyridinium and then cross-couple on aryl halides to make non to make non-canonical amino acids. What I liked about the reaction is that the pyridinium is um, once it cross-couples, you can readily track the um, like the the pyridine byproduct, and so it's a really nice way for you to see mass balance, which sometimes in cross couplings is a little bit tricky but if you can see um the 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 pyridine byproduct you know that your substrate converted or it didn't and then you can kind of dig into the details to optimize further oh that's great that's a great signature right like a fingerprint yeah Hmm. yep all right our last question is from at chem walker what can be done to help educate phd students about industrial careers the majority of them will not go to academia but it seems many profs know very little about non-academic pathways. I will comment on how I maybe learned and kind of what folks can maybe do to take a similar path. I would say how I learned about industries. I attended a couple conferences when I was a grad student and when I was a postdoc, and I was pretty intentional to attend uh, the industrial talks because it kind of helped you see the types of problems that chemists um, within industry are working on and ultimately, you know, what type of science they did on to to deliver whatever that they were going to talk on. And so I would say for me, it was very inspiring to always see Merck talks. It, it They definitely seemed apart from other from other industry talks. And so it was something that was inspiring um, yeah, the amount of creativity and innovation in the processes that were being developed, I just could really get behind. And that kind of helped me see like, oh, this isn't, this is a creative role that I could potentially see myself in. Um, because prior to that, I really just had no idea. What about you? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, get, getting exposed to the science that that does make it into the venues where graduate students and postdocs are already is 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 really really easy if you think about it, um, and it just takes a little bit of a deliberative um, stance in terms of going going to those talks. I would say um, the other thing to do is is um, to have those discussions out in the open. I think some graduate students don't talk about this with their PI, maybe because they assume their PI hopes that they will pursue an academic career. But, um, you know, the fact that so many people end up in, in, in industry, and in fact, I just saw data on this. Someone tweeted about this last week where it's basically five to one, basically, right? It's like five to one or four to one, um, you know, industry to academia. That means that PI, probably everyone they went to grad school with or most of the people they went to grad school with are, are in industry as well. And so they presumably have a network of folks that they could put you in touch with so that you could understand what their career is like. Um, and so this aspect of, of leveraging your network or your peers network, right? Maybe the lab that you joined has been around for a while. And so there are people who have now left that lab and, and gone into industry, which you could reach out to. Um, and for me, like that, that was a really key aspect of my decision to go to industry is I started interacting with folks um, and learning a little bit about what their job was like and what they were excited about. And I always tell students, you end up being the people that you work with. And so if you meet these people and you like you like who they are, you like what they're about, um, then there's a good chance that you'll be happy doing the job that they're doing as well. That's good. I would say one, one more thing to add was that when I was in grad school, I didn't know if I wanted to do academia or, or, or if I wanted to do industry, but I participated in, in all the um, industry on campus interviews just so I could attend the info sessions, learn about the companies, and then go through the interview process and learn about the people, like you just said, who are interviewing me and kind of ask questions. It was a really great opportunity for me to like build my network and learn a little bit about the companies before heading off into my postdoc. So that's also an opportunity that's available to probably um, some folks who listen to the pod. Yeah, yeah. And to be honest, like you can do all those things and decide to do a career in academia and that network will end up being super useful to you as well because presumably you want all your students to get employed. Presumably you're going to want to invite those people to come recruit at the university where you work. So the, nothing that. is lost there, right? Um, so yeah, I agree with you on that. Okay, dude, that's it. That's a wrap. That is a wrap. Those are, are the top five questions that we had from our listeners. Thanks again to everyone who submitted questions. For those of you who um, didn't get an answer, hopefully people will get on that thread and give you their opinion. We'll retweet, re retweet your questions so that people can uh, in the industry can help answer them as well. Well, Danny, have a great holiday break. Uh, thank you. You too. Enjoy your vacation and I'll see you next year. Cheers. Bye. Dashing through the snow in a one horse open sleigh. Over the fields we go. Laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring. Making spirits bright. What fun it is to write and sing a slang song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Jingle all the way. Jingle all the way. 